Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, we are in chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20 this morning. We're in Galatians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 20 this morning. And we're, we're answering the question, why must we continue to pursue Christ? Why must we continue to pursue Christ? That's what we'll be looking at this morning, the question we're seeking to answer. Hopefully you found your place in God's Word, and uh, we believe God's Word has wisdom. We believe God's Word is God's Word to us, and that's why we call it God's Word, and that's why we teach out of God's Word, and that's why we preach out of God's Word here, that's why we study God's Word. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd ask that you turn to Galatians 4, 8 through 20, and follow along with me as I read this. Beginning in verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature, to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and years and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you, had, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Lord, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to open your word, to read from it, to, to learn from it, God, and to learn why we must continue to pursue Christ here this morning. And we ask that as we walk through this text, you would help us to understand it, as well as you would help us to apply this to our life and to our Christian walk, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit is a classic work of fiction about adventure and, and risk and reward. And the main character is Bilbo Baggins. He's a hobbit who rarely ventures out of the comfort of his own chair, fire, and tea kettle. And that is until Gandalf and a, a group of dwarves unexpectedly show up at his house one night with an adventure plan that has Bilbo playing a key part in their plan. After much convincing Bilbo, he, he finally agrees. He goes, okay, I, I will leave the comfort of my home. And the next morning, they set off on this adventure. He goes with Gandalf and the dwarves to the lonely mountain. And as he walked away from the comfort of his home, he, he was excited. There was this new adventure that had started. He couldn't wait to see where it would take him. But not long into this adventure... Bilbo and, and one of the dwarves, Balin, they get into this conversation. Is that the mountain? asked Bilbo in a solemn voice, looking at it with round eyes. 
He'd never seen a thing that looked so big before. Of course not, said Balin. That's only the beginning of the Misty Mountains, and we have to get, get through or over or under those somehow before we can come into Wilderland beyond. And it is a deal of a way even from the other side of them to the lonely mountain in the east where smog lies in our treasure, lies on our treasure. Oh, said Bilbo. And just at that moment, he felt more tired than he ever remembered feeling before. He was thinking once again of the comfort of this chair by the fire in his favorite sitting room in his hobbit hole and the kettle singing, not for the last time. Now, I don't know about you, but, but many of us are like Bilbo. We run headlong into the Christian life. We are, we are excited to see where God will take us, how God will use us. We are on fire for Christ. But eventually we look up and before us is something like these misty mountains. A barrier that, that we have never faced before. And when we run to God in prayer, He says something like, Balin, this is a hurdle just, that this hurdle is just the beginning of many that we will find on our road to a heavenly paradise. And it's then that we have a choice to make. We can, we can keep pressing on, trusting God knows what's best for us and that one day He will bring us to the end of our journey. Or, or we can turn back to that which is comfortable, to that which we know, to a place where there is no mystery, no one to trust in but ourselves. While that might be tempting as Christians, we, we can't return to our, our former way of life. Instead, we must continue to pursue Christ. Why is that? Why must we continue to pursue Christ? Well, we must continue to pursue Christ in order to remain free. And Paul begins this new section in his letter to the Galatians by commenting on the Galatians' former way of life. He says in verse 8, Formerly, when, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You see, in this, wor in this verse, Paul is addressing one of the biggest misconceptions that I think the people in, in the world have. And that is, they believe that they are free apart from God. But that's not true. Those, those who don't know God, they are actually not free. They are actually enslaved. They are enslaved because they have to continually to, to work for their acceptance, whether that be the acceptance of some other God that, 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 of whom the religion that they are going after, whether that be the acceptance of their peers, whether that be their own personal acceptance. They are constantly working to make sure that they are accepted. And that's not freedom. That, that's slavery. But on the contrary, freedom is to know God and to be known by God. And we see this here in verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? To know God is not just to know Him intellectually. Right? Knowing God involves more than knowing just something about God. Knowing God involves us actually experiencing a relationship with God. And you can think about it like this, right? Social media, it gives us the opportunity to know a, a lot about a lot of people. We can, we can know what these people look like. We can know what vacation that they went on. We can know what they like to eat. And people love to take pictures of what they're eating, right? And post it up there. And everybody else is like, man, I wish I could go to that restaurant. Or I wish I could eat that, that right now. We know what people are eating. We know what they like to, what, where they work at. We know what sports their kids play in. 
Uh, we know what school they went to or what school they're currently going to. We know what event they're attending or what event they're about to attend. We know a lot about a lot of different people. And many of you have a lot of friends or followers, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. And, and you've got the ability to know a lot about those people, but you don't really know those people. And I say you don't really know them because you don't have a relationship with them, right? You're not, you're not hanging out with them. You're not going to lunch with them. You're not going over to their house for some backyard barbecue or attending these events or, or vacation with them. You just know that they're doing those things, and you might want to do some of those things with them, but you don't really know them. Now, Ryan's going to talk a lot more about this in our, in our seminar tonight, so if you have not signed up, I would certainly encourage you to do so. He's going to talk about the idea that we live in the most connected yet disconnected time in world history. We live in the most connected yet disconnected time in world history. We know a lot about a lot of people, but we don't really know those people at all. But while we may not know many of our friends on social media, we all do have friends that we know. It's probably a smaller list than your friends on you know, one of these social media platforms. And these friends, they, they probably live down the street or across the street from you. They, they, these are people you actually hang out with, that you go to lunch with, that you might go on vacation with. Friends that you're close with. Friends that you actually have a relationship with. And as Christians, that is the type of relationship that we have with God. We don't just know about God. We actually know God. And not only do we know, them, but God, know Him, but God knows us as well. And God loves us, and God accepts us. And because we have God's acceptance, we don't need the acceptance of, world, of the world's religions. We don't need the acceptance of our peers. As Christians, we know God, and God knows us. Let, let that land on you for a minute. The God of the universe, the God who has created everything, the God who speaks to us through His Word, we actually have a relationship with Him. We talked about the idea that we become sons and daughters of God, or we become sons of God, to use the, the biblical term from last week. But God actually knows us, and we become a part of His family. And once we have experienced that type of love and acceptance, it is foolish to turn back to a works-based salvation. It's foolish to turn back to a, a, a salvation that puts us in chains and bondage. It's foolish to operate out of the elementary principles of the world. But we're often enticed to fall back into what's we, what we once knew. After all, we've been operating according to the elementary principles of the world for a long time. We've been living and, and acting as, as worldly citizens for our entire life before we come to faith in Christ. It's all that, that, that many of us have, have ever known. If you've only been following Christ for a small or short amount of time, well, well you've been operating according to the world's principles and, and you've been allowing that to be your foundation for how you live and how you think for most of your life. But remember, in Christ, our foundation for our life actually changes. How we live, how we think, how we act, the things that we do, the things that we will, the things that we want, the things that we desire, those things change because the foundation for our life changes when we come to Christ. Instead of operating out of the world's ideas, we are then to build on this new foundation that we have in Christ. We are to operate according to God's principles instead of the world's principles. And when we live according to God's design, we end up experiencing true freedom. That's right. 
See, we, when we live in the way that, that God has purposed for us to live, and we walk in that, and we, we live in that, there's no bondage there. We're free. When you use, you think about it, when you use a tool in the way that that tool is meant to be used, well, you get your project done. And you get your project done in, in a timely manner. Because you're using that in the way that it's purposed to use. When you don't, and you try to use something else that you're not supposed to use for that project, what happens? Well, it doesn't work. You end up spending all kind of time, and you end up going to the store anyways to buy that tool. You see, God has designed for us to live and to act and to think in a certain way. And the sin, sin in this world has, has broken that. That's why it's called the fall. We, have, we, are, we are broken people. But when we come to Christ, in a sense, we're, we're, we're put back together, if you will. We're able to operate according to the wisdom that is built into the fabric of this world. And we are able to, to live and to operate in a way that God has designed, and that provides us with freedom. See, the world thinks that there's no freedom in God. There's no freedom in Christ, but there is the utmost freedom in Christ. And so, Christian, continue to pursue Christ so that you might enjoy the freedom that He has won for you. The world enslaves, Christ frees. He breaks the bondage of, of sin. He breaks the chains of bondage. He makes it possible for us to flourish. We must continue to pursue Him. Next, we learn we must continue to pursue Christ so as not to frustrate those who have invested in us. Paul reveals here that, that he has invested a lot in the Galatians. He's traveled hundreds, if not, if not thousands of miles, to meet with and care for them in person. He, he continually keeps up with them. He's writing them. He's praying for them. He's thinking about them. He's encouraging them consistently. And hearing that they've turned back to their former way of life, well, this, this pains him, and it leads him to say in verse 11, I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Now, at first, when, when you read that, you might think, well, man, well, Paul is being awful selfish here. Like, it's all about him. It's all about what he has done. But, that, that, but Paul is not being, being selfish. You see, as, as an apostle, as someone who is sent out by God as a pastor of this, this church and a pastor of many churches, his life is wrapped up in those to whom he ministers. He reveals this over in a, another book that he wrote in 1 Thessalonians. He says this in verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. See, Paul's life, his joy, his boasting is wrapped up in those to whom he ministers. And that leads him to say in Galatians 4, 19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Seeing his spiritual children running away from the Lord, man, it, it causes Paul pain, it causes Paul anguish. Not just a little bit of pain, not just a little bit of anguish, but, but pain and anguish so great that he compares it to childbirth. Now, women, I'm sure you're rolling your eyes because you know you men always say, "Man, it's like it's like childbirth, right? It's so painful. It's like childbirth." And what what do we know about childbirth, right? Not not much. Um, if you have if you've ever seen someone give birth, you know that there's a lot of pain that is that is involved there. You know that is anguish. You know all that, but we haven't felt that pain ourselves. But we still know that it is super super painful. 
And Paul is, is comparing how he feels and, and what is happening here, the emotions that he's feeling, the pain that he's feeling, like that of childbirth for a woman. He shares his concern, his anguish with the Galatians, so that their actions and their affections, so that they know that their actions affect others outside of themselves. You see, when, when, we, when we sin, when we when we do something, right, other people are affected. We often talk about, well, that, this is just something that doesn't hurt anybody else. I mean, we live in community with people. And because we live in community with people, I mean, our actions and what we do not only affect us, I mean, the primary consequences may affect us, but, but our actions, they, they ripple out from us. And some of those are like little ripples in a pond where you throw a stone in, and some of those are big, gigantic waves like a hurricane is coming on you and your family. Regardless, our actions affect others. They affect others. And particularly those who have labored over our growth in Christ. You see, when we, when we turn from the Lord and we begin to pursue sin, it, it affects those who, who have labored over us, those who might be our spiritual fathers or mothers in the faith, those who have spent time mentoring us. When we fall back into sin, when we quit pursuing Christ, we frustrate them. We make them wonder if their work has, has been in vain, just as Paul wonders here. Has his work been in vain? Has all of these, this time, all of this effort, all of this, all, all of this anguish, all of this prayer and 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 tears that he's put into these people, and, and years that he's put into them. Is this just all in vain? Is it all for, for nothing? You see, when it comes to our spiritual life, we must not only you know, keep in mind how our actions are affecting us, but we've got to keep in mind how our actions are affecting others as well. And thinking about others should, should motivate us to keep pressing on when things get difficult. It should motivate us to, to also go to others when things get difficult. Those who we might consider our spiritual fathers or mothers or, or brothers and sisters or mentors in the faith and, and ask them to help us. Ask them to continue to run alongside of us because we need someone at this point in our life to help us pursue Christ. And that's good and that's, and that's right. And that does not frustrate others. Rather, that encourages them. That lets them know that, that what they're doing and, and the, the amount of time and energy they're pouring into you is not in vain. But it is actually for a purpose. And so we need to keep others in mind and we need to pursue Christ so that we will do that. Next, we learn that, that we must continue to pursue Christ so that we will be motivated and empowered to care for others and so that our hearts will be willing to accept correction. Changing gears a bit, Paul begins reminiscing about the first time that he met the Galatians. In verse 12, he says this, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So evidently we learn here that, that Paul had to stop in Galatia because, because he was ill. It, it, it seems that there is something that, that's going on with his eyes. We don't really know. People speculate about this all the time. But, but based on what he's saying here, it seems as if there's something that is going on with, with his eyes. 
And we also see that whatever is affecting him is, is unsightly. It's not something that, that's real attractive, right? Where you're going to be like, oh, man, man, this guy here, what's going on with him, right? This, this is what's happening with Paul. Um, it's something that would normally result in scorn or, or somebody despising you or looking down upon you or, or just being repulsed by you. But the Galatians, they, Paul says, they, they acted differently. They, they, they accepted Paul. They, they treated Paul with love and, and with care. They were even willing to give of their own bodies if, if, they would be, if, they, if that was possible for them to do that. But that was then, and, and this is now. Currently, their affections for Paul have changed. In verse 16, Paul says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Their affections changed because they didn't like that Paul had told them the truth that he was speaking into their lives. And that's not unusual, right? I mean, we have a tendency to despise those who, who tell us that we are not doing things the right way, that we are not following Christ in the right way. I know that you probably experienced that in the past. Somebody's come to you, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a loved one, maybe, maybe it's a church member, and when they spoke the truth into your life about something that you are doing, something that you are participating in right now, and that's, that's right, that's good for them to do that, when we speak the truth of God's Word into another's life, we are actually helping that person grow. In another one of Paul's letters to the Ephesians, he writes this in chapter 4, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, if we're going to grow, we need bold brothers and sisters who are going to come and who are going to speak the truth of God's Word into our life. It's not unloving to confront someone who is in sin. In fact, it is the most loving thing that you can do. Conversely, if you don't confront a brother or sister about their sin, you are actually acting in an unloving manner. To knowingly turn a blind eye to someone who is in sin is to act selfishly rather than lovingly. That's not to say that, that approaching someone in their sin is, is easy. It's certainly not. But, but it is the most loving thing that we can do because what ends up happening is it results in their growth and it results in the growth of the entire church so that the entire church is building itself up in love that they become more like Christ. Amen. We help one another do that and then we become a witness to the world through that. And so it's one of the most loving things that we can do, and that is actually one of our purposes as church members. Our purpose as church members is, is not just to gather together every now and again and have some pleasant conversations and shake one another's hand and walk out the back door, right? Or gather in Sunday school. Our purpose as church members is to help one another grow in Christ. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings. That's why we, we sing together to encourage one another to help teach one another. This is why we gather together in a Sunday school class, to, to build community with one another and to learn God's Word together so that we might further that community and we might further that teaching outside of the classroom, outside of Sunday morning. If we're going to be a church that makes disciple-making disciples, then we've got to be a church that gathers together with one another often, that we gather together with one another to speak the truth into one another's life. Now, that's not always speaking the truth about sin into another's life. That's just speaking the truth of God's Word into to one another's life. And sometimes that, that involves teaching and encouragement. Sometimes that involves reproving and rebuking that person. 
But doing all of those things is, is right and good, and it involves, and it results in the church actually growing to be more like Christ. But oftentimes when that happens, you know the initial reaction. The initial reaction is like, what? You lash out at them. You, you, you're you're kind of like, man, I can't, I can't believe this person is, is actually saying this to me. But after realizing that you're being approached by this person in love, your attitude towards them, well, hopefully it will change. Instead of attacking them or, or pointing out their sin, we should be thankful that they aren't just thinking about their own comfort. That they're actually risking something here for our growth in Christ-likeness. And for that, we should be thankful. For that, we need... And we should pray for, for other brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to do that, who are willing to come to us in a heart of love and to, to correct us, just as Paul is doing here with the Galatians. And while one should react in the spirit of thankfulness, that's not always the case, right? The Galatians apparently hadn't gotten over Paul's rebuke now. I mean, it's been a while. Uh, he's writing another letter to them. He's, he's bringing this rebuke up in this other letter that he's writing to them. Instead of seeing Paul as this spiritual father who cares for them, who loves them, who, who is experiencing the anguish of childbirth at, at seeing them run away from Christ, and they, they think that Paul is their enemy. That, and that led them to reject him, to reject the truth that he was speaking into their lives. And apart from not liking this critique, the underlying reason why many people react in anger is because they have strayed from the gospel. You see, instead of resting in Christ, they begin to move and, and they're resting in something else, particularly a, a works-based system. You see, it's easy for us to think that, that we've got to do something in order for us to be accepted by, by God. But as, as Christians, we know that, that it is Christ alone who provides us with salvation and we trust in His sacrifice. We trust in His work on our behalf, not on our own work. But, but sometimes we begin to slip into this system into this way of thinking that well we've got to do something and when we do that we we can go down a we can go far down that path and then when someone comes to us and they say man i see that you're not trusted in christ's work on your behalf i see that you're you're getting involved in this that there and the other that you're pursuing something other than christ sometimes we'll lash out at that person why because they're messing up our system they're telling us that, that we are not living in the way that, that we think that we're living. We're, we're missing the mark. And if we're missing the mark, well, that means that, that a works-based system is not providing us with salvation. And so we push back. We lash out. We do anything to keep those people at arm's length from us because we don't want them to tell us that what we're doing is not right because then that means that the hope, the salvation, the meaning and purpose that we've built into this system is not there. It, it is false, and it's empty. But instead of pushing back, we should, we should actually be thankful for that person, that they would speak the truth in our life, that they would provide correction for us. We shouldn't despise them. We shouldn't reject them. We shouldn't think of them as their enemies. Instead, we should listen to them. 
Now, of course, when we go to speak the truth into someone's life, I mean, we have to do this in a loving way, right? We, we don't go to someone with our, on our high horse, uh, demeaning them, holding them in, in contempt. We, we don't look down on them for their sin. We are all sinners, right? We are all sinners who need Jesus. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's nobody who's higher or, or lower than another person. And that, that includes when we first come to Christ, and that includes as we continue to pursue Christ until we're taken to glory. We, that, that, that ground there is level. And it will never, will never get a little mound. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's just a little ant bed we can step on, right? It'll never happen. It's always level because it's always what Jesus has done for us. And so we've got to remember that. If we, if we, if we think that we're going to go to somebody with this, you know, high and mighty position, well, we've got to remember who we are. We're humble sinners who need Christ just as much as that person does. Right? But, but God is working in our life, and He's helping us to keep pursue Christ, and He's doing that so that we can go to other people and help them to pursue Christ. And so we've got to go to people with love and great care. You remember the, the parable that Jesus told, right? We, we can't go to somebody with this massive plank in our eye and try to pick out a little splinter in their eye. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go to people, but it means that we recognize we're a sinner too. And it means that we are actively willing to work on our sin and we're willing to allow other people to speak into our life if we're going to go and speak into other people's life. We've got to approach people. We've got to approach them in love. We can't and we shouldn't allow someone just to remain in their sin. That, that's an unloving thing for us to do. Now, all this, I know, is easier said than done. And the key to accepting correction, the key to providing correction, is a continued pursuit of Christ. When we stop pursuing Christ, we won't care for others in the way that the Bible calls us to care for them, and we won't be open to the correction of others, even if they have our best interest in mind. If we're going to care in the way that the Bible calls us to care, and if we're going to be cared for in a biblical way, we must continue to pursue Christ. Now lastly, we must continue to pursue Christ so we won't be deceived by those who don't care for us. So we won't be deceived by those who don't care for us. I hope it's evident by now as we go through this section here. It's a bit more biographical in Paul and Paul and how he's relating to the Galatians. But I hope it's evident that, that Paul cared deeply for the Galatians. Their actions, they, they affected Paul personally. And his care for them has is, is prompted him to speak the truth into their lives, even though it led them to think, man, this guy is my my enemy. But Paul wasn't the enemy. Instead, those they were following were their enemy because those whom they were following did not have the Galatians' best interest in mind. See, look at verse 17 with me. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. See, Paul expands on the actions of the Galatians and in his actions. He's not doing it to puff himself up because he wants them to see the difference between him and the, the Judaizers. Sure, the Judaizers, they came in and, and they made much of, of the Galatians. They flattered them. They, they lifted them up. They, they, they did this, though, for their own benefit, not for the benefit of the Galatians. A little bit later in the letter, in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, we read this. 
And Paul's telling them why. Why they're doing this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. You see, what they're, the whole idea here in this work that they're running back to is the work of circumcision and and so these Judaizers are coming and saying, if you, you, you need to follow Christ and you need to be circumcised in order to be a true Christian, in order to be a good Christian, in order to really be one who's pursuing Christ. And he's saying, why? Why do they want you to be circumcised? Why do they want you to go down this path? You're already believing in Christ. You're already following Christ. You're already pursuing Him. Why do they want you to be circumcised? And the real reason is that the Judaizers are ministering to the Galatians for their own benefit. They do it in order to boast in the flesh. They do it in order to avoid persecution. See, on the one hand, they want to be able to head back to headquarters and say, look at all these people that we got. Look at all these converts that we, that we have gotten. They want to tout their numbers. They want praise from other people. But then on the, the other hand, they want to avoid persecution. And the way that they planned to avoid persecution was to change the gospel for one that centered on Jesus alone to one that centered on Jesus plus works. A plan of salvation that involves a system of works, it would, it would help them win favor with both the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And their motivations were not innocent here. They had ulterior motives. They had motives that were selfish. Paul, on the other hand, doesn't have these ulterior motives. He's not acting out of selfishness. Instead, he, he wants what's best for them. And what's best for them is to continue to pursue Christ so that they will continue to grow in Christ. You see, if we aren't continuing to pursue Christ, it's going to be hard for us to determine who has our best interest in mind. We're naturally, naturally selfish people, and we want self-glorification. And if somebody comes and, and they, 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 they give us some way that we can be glorified, well, we might naturally gravitate towards that. This is why we've got to continue to pursue Christ. We've got to continue to pursue Christ and the truths that are in God's Word so that we realize that it's not about our glorification. Rather, it's about Christ's glorification. It's about making much of Him instead of making much of ourselves. But if we're not pursuing Christ and somebody comes in and starts making much of us, well, man, we, we're going to run over here to their side. This is what's happening in Galatia. And so we have to continue to pursue Christ alone so that we will be able to discern those who are speaking worthless words of flattery to us. Our life will be directed towards God's glory if we do that and not our own glory. And so the way forward isn't, isn't the way backward to past comforts. It isn't choosing the path of, of least resistance. It is instead a willingness to face that which lies ahead as we continue to pursue Christ with our entire self. And doing so will, will paradoxically provide us with, with true freedom. It will encourage us, uh, it will encourage those who have invested blood and sweat and, and tears into our growth in Christ. It will keep us open to both giving and receiving correction. And it will protect us from those who seek to simply use us. We must never quit pursuing Christ. We must do so with all of our might. Seeing Him as greater and better than anything that this world could ever offer us. And so keep pressing forward. 
And don't turn back. Continue to trust God and to believe that He has your best interest in mind. Continue to pursue Christ. And that's how you can respond this morning. If you're a believer this morning, continue to pursue Christ. Don't let anything knock you off of that path. Don't let anything stop you from that pursuit. Continue to pursue Christ. And if you're not yet a believer this morning, now is an opportunity for you to pursue Christ for the first time. Christ is the one who provides us with freedom. Christ is the one who breaks the chains of bondage. Christ is the one who provides us with true hope, true meaning, and true purpose in life. So we must pursue Him. And now is an opportunity for you to turn and to pursue Christ, to repent of your sin and to believe that Jesus has done it all for you, that, that His work is sufficient, that His penalty that He has paid on your behalf is sufficient. Now is an opportunity for you to believe in Christ. We're going to sing here in a moment. Scott's going to lead us in a time of response, and, and that's an opportunity for you to respond for you to respond to this message, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, now is an opportunity for you to respond. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to open your word, to learn from it, to read it, God, to to see that, that Christ should be our only pursuit, that we should never turn back, that we should continue to pursue Him, Lord. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that as individuals. Help us to do that as a church, God. And help us, Lord, to be a church that's growing as we do that. A church that's growing in your word. And is growing as a church that makes disciple-making disciples. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.